0: So sailing was something that I kind of fell into, really, as a young lad. When I left school at 16, I jumped on a yacht, um, a 60-foot sailing yacht, and went to the Med for six months um, as a first mate on a charter boat. Did that until I was just over the age of 18. I did two, three Atlantic crossings. I did one, two when I was 16 and one when I was 18. And that was the career I wanted to follow. My name is Jeff Holt, I am a disabled yachtsman and adventurer, I'm also a very proud vice-president of the RLI. My first memory of the RLI, and actually it's a physical entity that I have here at home is um, I was born and brought up in somewhere called Farlington um, down in Portsmouth, and they were raising money for uh, a lifeboat called the Sir Alec Rose, um, and um, and I did a sponsor walk aged four years old uh, for the RNLI around Farlington Marshes, and I was going through some paperwork the other day, and I found a certificate um, that you know that I'd helped raise money for the RNLI all those years ago. My mum remarried when I was about eight, nine years old, um, and my stepdad owned a boat on the Hamble River down on the south coast. Um, so as a young child, over the summer holidays, we sailed, you know, weekends to various harbours along the, the south coast, France, Ireland. Having sailed the Atlantic three times, um, I was now, at that point, I'd been 18, 18 and a half years old, I was working in the Virgin Islands, the British Virgin Islands, and I was offered this amazing opportunity to come back and work as a first mate on a on a luxury charter yacht sailing yacht and it was the dream job you know this was the full-time position sailing around these beautiful islands taking people often Americans for you know for voyages around the Caribbean um, and so I, I gave up whatever I was doing at that time I jumped on an airplane um, and flew out to Tortona in the British Virgin Islands signed all the paperwork. Um, the yacht was called Endless Summer 2, um, based in Nanny Key. Um, and then once I'd signed the paperwork, I decided to go to the beach, one of the most beautiful beaches in the world, called Cane Garden Bay. Um, and it was there literally an hour after I'd signed on all my papers. Um, I ran into the sea, um, I put my arms out in front of me, and I dived forward into the waves and hit my head on a sandbar and broke my neck. And I've, I've broke the neck at what's called C5-6 between the shoulder blades. And that was on the 5th of uh, September, 1984. You know, that was, that was over 39 years ago now. And from that moment in time, I lost the use of my arms. Um, I've been in a wheelchair ever since. And I thought that was it, genuinely. Not immediately. I mean, my first, my first priority was think, trying to get better. I didn't realise how bad I was. Um, it would be a month before I was eventually flown back to the United Kingdom. Um, but slowly over time I realised, there was this realisation that my career in yachting at that time was over. And I didn't know, I just didn't know what I was going to do with myself. So if you've got uh, a young lad, 18 and a half, breaks his neck, you know, that the prognosis is... Rest of your life in a wheelchair, never going to walk again. Yeah, it's it, it, you know, it's undoubtedly it's horrific. I mean, it's brutal. It's horrific, um, particularly when you start to understand what that really means in terms of you know personal care and the, you know the issues that you're going to be subjected to through your life. Um, however, I spent the, the first year in hospital recovering with three other guys my age who had all had similar accidents. You know, over time, weeks become months, become years, and uh, suddenly life carries on. You don't realise much about yourself until you get older and look back. But um, when I came out of hospital eventually, I should say that I left hospital with my nurse, um, Elaine. And Elaine and I have been married 38 years or so now, so um, that was worth paying my national insurance contributions for. Uh, So Elaine and I came out, and suddenly there's this profoundly disabled 19-year-old guy now, what do I do? It was it was in the mid to late eighties, birth you know the infancy of computing. Um, I jumped on a free course, got uh, qualified in database in database management, um, got my first ever proper job, desk job, uh, which I swore I'd never do. But um, you know at the time I thought it was my only option, and um, yeah, worked for a firm at the time called Deloitte Haskins and Sells in Southampton, and over the next fifteen years. I worked my way up to become head of marketing and business development for um, the firm that now we now know as Deloitte. Yeah, and that allowed me to achieve my aspirations. Elaine and I got married, we bought our first house. We had nice holidays, nice cars, um, and I was able to achieve all those things. And I'm, I'm particularly proud of myself that, uh, I, well, and Elaine for the hard work that went into that, just just to try and live a a, a normal, you know, rabbit ears. Uh, a normal life, but I still missed sailing. I I kind of had shut it out. It was too painful to think here was something that was my life and I could never do again. So it would be a a number of years before I'd get back in a boat again. Before my accident, um, I, I got to know a disabled lady who lived in a village called Hamble. And then, when my, I had my accident, and my wife and I came to live back in Southampton, my wife did nursing and agency nursing. And would you believe it? One of the jobs was to go into work for this lady, Diana. Um, and Diana, it's, the coincidence is incredible. Anyway, Diana remembered me and remembered before her accident, my accident that you know how I used to help. Well, Diana, it just so happened. Um, was independently quite a wealthy lady despite her disability and had redesigned, a or designed from scratch, a trimaran 15-foot long, so a 5-metre, 15-foot trimaran, single-seater, that could be sailed using just a, your main sheet and also the, uh, the tiller. So that was fantastic. So I, should we arranged a time for me to go and have a go on this. And I got in this boat. I was frightened. I was terrified. I was going to have forgotten to sail, uh, or I was going to hit, you know, one of the ships out on the water. Um, but I, I, you know, I need not been worried. Once that, once that, I pulled that main sheet in, and it accelerated. Um, it was just marvelous. That spray and water in my face. It was just, you know, if any yachtsman will tell you that's what it's like. That's that's the special feeling of being on the water. And here I was doing it on my own, no one was telling me, go left, go right, you know, I was doing all of it on my own, and, uh, very, yeah, it was amazing. So having, having got back in that little sailing dinky, um, I quite quickly wanted to do something extraordinary, I just felt that I had it within me. So. Um, although this may not sound that extraordinary, in 1997 I sailed that little dinghy around the Isle of Wight. It was 50, 60 miles. Um, I was wet, I was cold, I was hungry, and all of that. Um, but to me, that was quite that was quite an achievement. Um, and no sooner had I done that than I thought I'd like to sail it around Great Britain. Um, and in 2007, it took 10 years to get to what I call my personal Everest. And I sailed that little boat, um, 15-foot dinghy, um, to 51 harbours around the United Kingdom, 1,500 miles. It took 110 days to get around. Um, and that that was incredible. Now, the reason for telling you all of that is because that, that kind of put me on the map, really, in terms of disability. I started to have a platform where people would listen to what my input on things like, uh, you know, recreational sailing and competitive sailing, and a seat on the council of the Royal Yachting Association. Um, and I was chairman, made chairman of a charity called Sailability um, for many years. Uh, well, after that, I then went back into the Atlantic again. Um, in two thousand and nine, I I crossed the Atlantic on a big twenty meter, sixty foot catamaran because um, uh, you know, having done it as a young man, I wanted to do it as someone with a disability. And the reason, so for telling you those two amazing events, is because it gave me this platform. People started talking about Jeff Holt. You know, I was asked to do interviews on the media, and people around the world, literally globally, were contacting me saying, "How do I do that? How do I do that? Where can I go to do that?" Um, and it made me realise how few chances there are for getting out offshore for people with disabilities, not just wheelchair users, um, but, you know, disabilities come in all forms. Um, and I decided to look at what what the provision was. And, you know, it may surprise people to know there's 350 or more sailing charities in the UK. But at the time, there were no power boating charities. And I was beginning to understand that there were Certain groups of disabled people, particularly young people, particularly with profound and complex disabilities, which means it's often life-limiting disabilities, um, who were never getting on the water at all because they used a big, heavy wheelchair, um, and they couldn't go on a sailboat. There's no way they could have got on the water. And if you start at the premise that it's being out on the water which is special, then it doesn't matter if it's a sailboat or a powerboat. Um, And so that that kind of is the genesis of of my current love and, and passion, which is wet wheels. Um, and for those that don't know wet wheels, uh, well, we are we are a charity, uh, but also wet wheels is the name of our, is, is the design of our power catamarans. They're all nine meters long, so just over 30 foot. Um, they're all powered by twin Suzuki engines, um, that each engine is 325 horsepower, so 650 horsepower per boat. And I designed these boats so they could take a maximum of 14 people, um, and of those, up to 10 of them could be disabled people, and of those 10, up to 3 could be wheelchair users. These boats were designed not so it was a trip round the harbour, not so it was pottering up and down the river looking at you know, little boats. They were designed so that people could go out and have a shared experience a barrier-free, shared experience with their family, and their loved ones. They could go fast. I mean, really fast. These boats will do up to 30 knots. In fact, they'll go faster than 30 knots, but we don't we don't allow it. Um, and the USP across the fleet is that um, everyone, and I mean everyone that comes on, regardless of disability, has the chance to drive the boat. They've all got a ramp up to the wheel, and our captains are all trained to drive them. And it is it is. It's exceptional because for a moment in time, disabled people can forget about their disability and they can just have fun. They can go faster, get wetter. You know, all those things they scream. And the last thing they're thinking about is their disability. And um, so I started this in 2011. And that one, that one idea back in 2011, um, I had to part mortgage my house to make it possible. Suzuki helped with the engines, and Cheetah Marine on the Isle of built the boat. Um, we now have eight wet wheels boats around the country. I have a quick name check for Edinburgh, Whitby, Dover, Jersey and the Channel Islands, Falmouth, Torbay, Hamble, and Portsmouth. Um, and we are taking collectively each year, we're taking well in excess of 10,000 people a year on the water. Um, and it's uh, it's very, very rewarding, and it's one of the most amazing things I've ever been involved with. Once I got back from the Atlantic crossing, and my profile was quite high, my my capital or whatever people call it these days, um, uh, was quite high, and I was being interviewed by a lot of people. Um, there was a lot of discussions, and you know, I was asked to do talks all over all over the world, actually. And many of the friends that I had um, got to know over the years through the RWE Council and um, because once once you get involved in this world of sailing and yachting, it's not long before you're sort of sucked into the politics of it at some level. Um, and um, a, a couple of dear friends of mine said, "Jeff, we think we'd like, you know, you'd be a perfect um, council member for the RNLI. This is going back, you know, a number of years. Um, I, I said that I would only ever, I could only ever do that if my heart was 100% in it. Um, and of all the organizations and I get asked to do it a lot I should tell you you know there's several organizations that a month will ask me to be involved in some way. Um, and so the RNLI, I, because I know about them I, I you know obviously credible but but the amazing work they do and there's a great synchronicity with, or synergy if you like between what we do. Um, so I met with them and uh, was interviewed and I was was uh, was made a council member. A number of years ago, I did uh, three sets of three years, as the as the rules state. Um, so I did a total of nine years um, as a council member, and I was, you know, I was. I feel that I was a valued member. I was able to contribute, not just not just about disability, but actually having a a different, diverse outlook on on decision making. Um, you know, I came from a different background. My, my my story was different to most of the people um, on the council, and it was, I felt really included, and I felt that my, my input was was valued. Speaking as a, I call myself a yachtsman, you know, forget the disability. So speaking as a yachtsman, someone who has a deep love for the environment, the marine environment, the and a respect for the environment, um, have always taken safety incredibly seriously. Um, the RNLI is, is synonymous with it's kind of it, it goes hand in glove with with anything you know to do with being on the water uh, particularly in our you know in our national waters um, i've i've need to be re- i've needed to be rescued myself i've had uh, i've had an incident in the water before and um, all i can say is it's very scary um, and these incidents may not happen every day of the week you know it's not every day that there's a a storm sinking a big ship out in the ocean. But actually, it's not always about that. And that amazing series on TV, Saving Lives at Sea, you actually start to see the, the stories behind these these rescues. Not just the people they're rescuing, but the crew themselves have their own stories. And, um, and so the RNLI to me means it, it's part of what I do. Um, it, it's an integral aspect of anyone who has a, a deep love and respect for the sea. it's Dee Kafari here and you've been listening to part of the RNLI's 200 Voices collection to hear more remarkable stories head to rnli.org forward slash 200 voices or subscribe to the RNLI wherever you get your podcasts from thank you